Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're talking about SST40, the Das Damen self-titled EP. The big 4-0, Ryan. We did it. The big 4-0, and what a release to go over on our 40th episode. Um, I'm a big fan, and I became a bigger fan than I was uh, just diving deep into this release over the last week. So really looking forward to it. And uh, as we mentioned on the last podcast, we have some special guests. Yeah, we sure do. Uh, Alex and Jim from the band are going to be on the podcast today. So cool. Great guys. Really appreciate them doing this for us. Yeah, totally. It, it's, uh, it's a great interview. So we hope you all like it. And uh, if you haven't heard this EP, you should check it out. I, I agree, Ryan. I'm totally looking forward to getting to more Das Domin. I kind of, I have uh, just a few of their albums. Uh, they're definitely due for a, a reappraisal in my mind because I really liked this EP. Yeah. So cool. Very, very excited to get into this one. I got a couple of spiels, though, to start off. Das Spiels. Yeah, a couple of Das Spiels. I got. I have several, so lay them on me. Hey, I have to set the stage, though, because I'm, I'm going to ask, Ryan. For what? Well, I was at your house a few weeks ago. Yeah. I was selling records at a record fair. Yeah. And you were helping me. Yeah. And you were, you were way over budget on your spending for records, and you were on your way to Seattle, and you insisted that you weren't going to any record stores. And uh, my buddy and I that drove up there and stayed at your house were chuckling on the way home because uh, we knew damn well you were going to some record stores, even though you said several times that you weren't. <laughs> How many record stores did you go to in Seattle? Uh, well, I think I ended up going to four, but five if you count the Sub Pop store in the airport. That totally counts. Yeah. That was actually a really cool store. My spiels actually almost entirely relate to my trip to Seattle, though. Go. And my first one is a teaser. Okay. So I'm in Seattle, went down there for uh, to see a show. And, you know, the big touristy spot is this place called Pike Place Market. Actually stumbled upon my first record store in Pike Place Market called Holy Cow Records. Anyways, it's kind of a meat and potatoes shop, like just one row of of indie alternative stuff. You know, good little shop, pretty good for the kind of market it was in. But anyways, this is the teaser. I stumbled across just flipping through the bins, something that probably, well, I don't know. I, I doubt many people would probably have pulled out, but I pulled out um, a split seven inch by this band that I like called Glazed Baby. And uh, the other side is by a band called Horsey, but I was I zeroed in on the Glazed Baby side. It comes with a zine, like from 94, this thing came out. In that zine, and it, the zine is called Get Off My Wagon, so it came with a 7-inch. The zine has an interview in it with a band called Transition. And I've mentioned them, I think, a couple of times. This is one of those really, really late-era SST bands that I love and uh they're actually, uh, their release is called Spine. It's SST 302. So this is, this is the teaser. In uh, June, approximately June of 2023. We'll, <laughs> Don't uh, even say that. <laughs> well, in June of 2023, we'll, uh, we'll get into this uh, transition interview that I uh, pulled out of this 7-inch at Holy Cow Records in Seattle. By the time we get to that, you'll 
have forgotten that you even own that. <laughs> well, here's another thing. You mentioned that record fair that we were uh, we had our a table at, and uh, there was another fellow there who had that uh, Descendants bootleg. Anyways, I got to talking to him, and he used to actually either work at or own a record store in Seattle called Singles Going Steady. Funny you should mention that. I was listening to a podcast today that mentioned that record store. But anyways, go ahead. Yeah, so I went to Singles Going Steady in Seattle as well. That was record store number two. And a really good shop. It's almost entirely punk, indie, crust, some goth and post-punk, and I guess some kind of bread and butter, rock and jazz stuff. I picked up some stuff there. I'm still way, way over budget from a couple of days before, as you mentioned. But podcast connection at Singles Going Steady. I picked up a zine at that shop called Razor Cake. Okay. Anyways, um, I had heard about this zine a number of times, but you just don't find it up where I live anyways. It's like a good old-fashioned zine from, you know, the stuff that I used to pick up in the 90s and early aughts, I guess, uh, even the late 80s, I suppose, but Maximum Rock and Roll, Ben is Dead, Flipside. It's been around for a while, I believe, and a friend of the pod, Michael T. Fournier, he might write for it. He for sure does a radio show podcast, the Razor Cake radio show or something like that. That's exactly what I was going to mention. I'm flipping through this scene, and whose name do I see? Michael T. Fournier. So very cool, just a random pickup at a shop in Seattle. Saw some writing by friend of the pod. So very cool. Pick up Razor Cake. It's a good, good old zine. I mean, I really enjoyed reading through it. I was, uh, been a long time since I've, you know, put down some dough and picked one of those up. So that was very cool. All right. What else you got? I wanted to mention another thing that I keep forgetting to mention, but I have to mention it because... I finally remembered. Oh, before I leave Seattle, I should mention this about Seattle. When I was there, you know, I'm a big replacements fan. Yeah. And so I whipped out my replacements shirt while walking around Seattle. I only got two people saying, hey, good replacements shirt. That's pretty good. Two is pretty good. I thought that was pretty weak for Seattle. Maybe. It's a pretty powerful replacements shirt. Anyways, you remember that Husker Du book we mentioned a lot uh, written by Andrew Earls? Yes. Yeah, so Andrew has got another killer book that I can't remember whether we mentioned it, but I wanted to make sure we did, called Gimme Indie Rock. Right, yeah, uh, I have it, I think. Is that the one that reviews like 100 or something uh, indie albums from the 80s and 90s? Yeah, it's called Gimme Indie Rock, 500 Essential okay. American Underground Rock Albums, 1981 to 1996. It is really good, and I didn't know that that was the same dude. I never made that connection. but Yeah, well, neither did I until a while back. I just kept on forgetting. I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. How could it not be? Um, yeah. But I can't recommend it enough because for someone who kind of grew up in the late 80s and 90s and really relied on looking at zines and seeing bands coming through town to kind of hear about other bands, like not the internet, the odd, you know, video show on Friday night on lame Canadian, you know, video channel. You really had a hard time other than, you know, reading thank you inserts inside records or on the back of jackets, like finding out a whole bunch of other bands that, you know, you'd probably like. When I read this book for the first time, probably a couple of years ago now, there is at least 
a few dozen of bands that I checked out for the first time because of reading Andrew's book. And so anyone who enjoys this podcast, I mean, it's full of SST stuff, but anyone who enjoys this podcast, this era should really check it out. It's it's a really well done book. And uh, I would say the same thing for me. And the thing I like about it is if you're looking to get into a band, it kind of tells you where to start. Yeah. And, and it's pretty consistently like, it's pretty consistent that it kind of uh, lists the, the their best albums. Like he knows his shit. You know what I mean? Totally. And it's one of the ones that I look at when I'm getting ready for the podcast, but I keep forgetting to mention it. And so, yeah. for example, this one, I flipped to Das Damen, and uh, he mentions the Triska Decaphobe record from 88, which we'll get, right. we'll get to that. We'll get to that one before transition. But it just reminded me like, man, I got to mention this one. So there, done. My spiels are over. Okay, I might have to save some of my Das spiels for worm spiels for next week because i've got lots should i do my bruce duff spiel for the week absolutely okay i'm going through withdrawal <laughs> well as you know ryan i've been chipping away at his really good book speaking of good books the smell of death that's kind of my thing a lot of that stuff as you know and like that type of music yeah 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 so there was a few things a few bands in there a couple of the bands he mentioned that i'd never heard so i tracked some of this stuff down and so the one band is called the Ultras, and that's Jeffrey Zimidi, the drummer in the in the book on the Jeff Dahl tour. Yeah. So he had a band called the Ultras, and as far as I can tell, they only released the one EP. So I found it fairly cheap, used, and it's produced by Bruce S. L. Duff, that's Screaming Lord Duff, and they were kind of like a almost like a glamier kind of band, and. It says uh, in the thank yous, it says, thanks to Keith Morris. And I just have a feeling that they were maybe, if you remember in Keith's book, My Damage, one of my favorite parts is when he talks about um, managing a band that I've always loved, The Hangmen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he managed them like before they got signed and kind of got screwed and i'm wondering if he wasn't maybe involved in this band because he was also involved with a band called the nymphs who i really like and these this band is definitely fits in that scene so i'm wondering if he maybe wasn't trying to help them out because he was definitely trying to, maybe not intentionally he almost fell into it keith did but he was almost getting like a roster of bands going and another cool thing about it is it says grand piano and extra backing vocals by paul rosler oh that's very cool yeah and it's just an EP, but it's it's pretty good. So I thought I'd mention that. And another cool thing that I picked up was two bands by Bruce's band prior to him joining Jeff Dahl on this tour, which he talks about a lot. And that's a band called Sister Goddamn. And they're kind of like a, almost like an MC5 kind of a thing. You can definitely tell... They thank, like, in the liner notes, they thank the Cadillac Tramps, the Lazy Cowgirls, one of my all-time favorite bands, as you know, uh, Chemical People. They're kind of like Stooges, uh, Radio Birdman, that kind of stuff. But a cool and interesting thing about them is uh, in the band is Amy Wichman, who played on uh, some of those early Jeff Dahl group albums that uh, Bruce Duff plays on. But their singer is a guy named Tony Brandenburg. Do you know who that is? No. Well, I'll tell you some of his punk aliases and see if you know. <laughs> Tony Kadena. Oh, yeah. Tony Reflex. And Tony Adolescent. 
Yeah. Yeah. As yeah. soon as he said Tony Cadena, I was like, oh yeah, I know who that is. Yeah. So in this, he goes by Tony Montana. So, and I don't know, so I know a little bit of adolescence. I don't know much at all about ADZ, but Bruce Duff also played in that band. Huh. With Tony Adolescent. So uh, they have two albums out. They're both really good. Sister Goddamn. I like that band name. Yeah, and Giza, Giza X is on one of the albums too. <laughs> What's so that? there you What's go. That song by him, Isotope Soap. Isotope Soap. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I thought that was all interesting stuff and kind of some SST connections too. Yeah. And uh, speaking of another thing, I wanted to mention about uh, Bruce Duff. So I looked him up on Discogs, and I had completely forgot that Bug Lamp. Who, that Keith was in, was on a compilation called Welcome to Our Nightmare. Alice Cooper. Yeah, it's an Alice Cooper tribute album, and it's a good tribute. You know when uh, they were putting out like a zillion tribute albums in the late 90s, and there was a lot of shit ones? This one's really good. It's got some great bands on it, and uh, Bug Lamp's on it, and they do The Ballad of Dwight Fry. Hmm. You know that song, right? That's the one that the Melvins do on Lysol. Oh, okay. So well, yeah, that one. Picture Keith doing the "I gotta get out of here" <laughs> rant at the end of that. It's really good. So that's that's my one dosh spiel. But I also thought just because they're kind of SST related, and this is going to be old news by the time this podcast comes out. But I thought we should mention a few things. Uh, Tony Kinman from the Dills passed away recently. Yeah, passed away on May fourth, and he was also, of course, in rank and file. But the SST connection is him and his brother Chip had a band called Blackbird and they did a couple songs. Big Train is a Blackbird song that most most people know from uh, Ball Hogger Tugboat. That's a Tony and Chip Kinman song. And also Quicksand on Mr. Machinery Operator by Firehose is a, was originally done by Blackbird, Tony and Chip Kinman. So I thought I'd mention that. And uh, also Glenn Bronca passed away and you'll hear, hear me ask the dust Domin dudes about him and he was in well a bunch of new york bands theoretical girls is the big one uh who he was in with wharton tears who produced the the record we're talking about today and he also had a record label called neutral records that put out um some of the first sonic youth stuff so a bit of an sst connection there as well i've got more stuff but it can wait oh one more quick thing i should mention I also got a zine called Trill Zine. Have you heard of this? No. Okay, good, because I got you one. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's a pretty cool zine. I saw it on one of the, mentioned on one of the SST, like, Facebook groups or whatever. It's pretty cool. Uh, Devin Sarno put it out. You can find it at devinsarno.com. And uh, it's got a really cool Henry Rollins essay on Saccharin Trust. Really? Yeah. Cool. And you got me one? Yeah, I got you one. FFL, man. Friends for life. You betcha. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll, I'll keep you in suspense, Ryan. I've got more spiels, but we'll do them next week. Let's get into this Das Domin. All right. Well, let's get into Das Domin. History lesson, part one. Alex and Jim will, you know, I can't do it as good a justice as they can, and we'll get to the interview right away, but very quickly, Das Domin from... New York, uh, Queens, I believe, formed in 1984. They kind of emerged from, or some of the members emerged from a hardcore band, The Misguided. Alex speaks about that in the interview, and uh, very cool to hear about that. Das Damen is loosely translated in German to 
the ladies. I, I don't think it's actually that, but um, my German's not the greatest either. And the band was formed by Jim Walters on vocals and guitar, Alex Tatino, vocals and guitar, and one of the best uh, names in rock of all time, Phil Leopold von Trapp on bass oh. and vocals. Oh, yeah. And uh, AKA the Tom Peterson of punk rock. Yeah, because he plays an eight <laughs> string Kramer bass, and you can hear it on this record. You totally can. And Lyle Heisen on drums. And Alex and Lyle were actually in The Misguided. So they uh, they formed in 1984. This EP that we're going to talk about, it originally came out on Ecstatic Peace, which was Thurston Moore's label. Um, and then they were picked up by SST. Greg kind of heard them on a tape, and Alex tells the story, which we'll get to in a minute. And they ended up putting out three releases on SST, the Jupiter I release, which is SST-95, Triskaidekaphobe, which is SST-190, which we mentioned. Oh, you nailed that one. Yeah, I said it better. I practiced five minutes yeah. ago, right? And then uh, Marshmallow Conspiracy, which is a very notorious release, which we'll get to at SST-218. And by the way, do you know what uh, Triskaidekaphobia is? Fear of, I don't know, tape decks? <laughs> 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 fear of the number 13 oh yeah that makes sense but anyways uh for me das Dahman has always been kind of like a missing link i i mean i saw them forever in cutout bins and stuff like that and just ended up picking it up and really liked it as i said i got way into them this week getting ready for the podcast super me pumped too, man. super pumped but they they also put out stuff on twin tone on city slang, on sub pop, and and like like we said, this EP was put out originally on Ecstatic Peace, so there's a Sonic Youth connection. Like, there's some great stuff on on that label that came way later when he reactivated it too, in like the 2000s and stuff. Ecstatic Peace. Yeah. So give me a give me an Ecstatic Peace release. I should check out. Well, you should check out something by Black Helicopter for sure. Oh, I've got, like both, I've got both of their records. They're awesome. There, there you go. They're so good. Ecstatic Peace, yeah. Black Helicopter, for sure. Yeah. I forgot that they were on that. We'll get into this in History Lesson Part 2, Ryan, But and they kind of allude to it in the interview, but they definitely don't get enough credit, Dos Domin I'm talking about now, for no. uh, pioneering a sound. They were ahead of their time, and then by the time it was popular, they kind of fizzled out, unfortunately. I hear so many, like, uh, early 90s indie rock bands in their sound. Oh, totally. So let's uh, let's get to the interview. I mean, it seems like there's been a resurgence a little bit, and it was kind of like an interesting time. I, I kind of think, like, maybe part of the reason that that happened was, like, I feel like maybe we started early like a little bit ahead of everybody. And then mm -hmm. I think we kind of ended a little early. Like we kind of weren't around to reap the benefits of when the music that we kind of were, you know, one of the people with many other people to kind of, I don't know if creates the right word or like fashion a style. I think like right when it was actually starting to become popular, like the band dissolved. Yeah. So I always feel like we kind of started too early and ended too early. So it's like an interesting an interesting time that is a little underdocumented, but then again, like you still hear so many people like, um, 
you know, like Guided by Voices or even like the Smashing Pumpkins will name check us sometimes. And it's, you know, or the guys from R.E.M. or whoever, you know, it's, it's nice. Yeah. How, how did the band come yep, together doesn't hurt. in the first place? Well, you know, so it's funny because we're um, the, on Jim's side of the, the thing and, and my side and Lyle's side and Dave, the original bass player, we were um, kind of um, we were very um, uh, like hardcore punk rock kind of like uh, our band of Misguided was like a, if you look it up, like a New York hardcore first wave, New York hardcore, you know, um, hardcore punk rock band. So just uh, I had met Lyle through, you know, you know, and um, it was just me and two other ne'er-do-wells from Queens, New York. I mean, lots of bands, but, you know, it's funny. If you look up Queens, it's like it's a real stronghold for, you know, it's a lot of people came from. It's like, you know, a lot of New York dolls, sure. Leslie West, the guys from Kiss. And then, then there's a ton of fucking like, you know, you know, unknown or, you know, big cult kind of punk kind of hardcore people and we were involved in that whole thing and early adopters and it was fun because you know for a bunch of guys that couldn't play for shit but you know hyperactive teenagers we got to play maxwell's and the mud club and and uh you know and and uh, you know hurrahs all these wacky cbgbs of course that those infamous cbgbs matinees we were like the probably the second band to play a cbs matinee and it's just uh it was weird to see and then this that scene got it got bigger and bigger, and we uh, we grew musically, I guess. You know, we're like, eh, she, she, the punk rock thing's getting a little too, you know, too skinheadish and too, you know, inbred for us. So we kind of, I don't know, we started branching out and listening to Hendrix and the Pink Fairies and, you know, older psychedelic shit, MC5 and the Stooges and jazz. And, you know what I mean? We really started listening to other shit and noticed the limitations of hardcore. And, uh, I don't know, so, we, you know, the guys at that stage of the game, two-thirds of the band was, they were going to NYU, and we were practicing, and, you know, just, you know, it was like 80, 1984, and we are just like, you know, we wanted to do something and get out there and play, but I know the equation wasn't quite there. We were playing with Danny Sage, who, you know, he, he was in Degeneration. He was another early punk rock hardcore adopter. Good guy, but, yeah, you know, just you know, we just needed a singer vocalist guy that wasn't a schmuck. Right. <laughs> and so as luck may have it, as luck may have it, Dave, you know, our, our bass player, our original and last pl- bass player for Dostom and Dave Matamid, his girlfriend knew Jim and introduced us. And it was a, it was a fit. It was just like, we loved him. He was just, a, you know, just turned on that, uh, that boyish charm. And, and he could and had a nice Les Paul and he could sing at the same time. We're like, Hey, that's, that's our guy. Cause we were like, we want to do something like the rich kids or, you know, more like punky, but, but melodic, right. you know what I mean? Hard melodic punk crap. And, and, you know, I don't know, like the rich kids meet Alice Cooper and the MC five and they have a four headed baby. And it's just like, ah, you know, we're hyperactive. And, and what, what was the hardcore band called? Uh, the misguided. Right. Right. Yeah, you, you can look it up. Yeah, just look, you know, and when you look it up, because there's other misguided bands, but uh, of course, look it up yeah. misguided New York, NYHC, and you'll see, like, you know, pictures of us, pictures of, uh, you know, at least me, Lyle, and, and Dave, so it's like three quarters of Dostom, and, and it was just like, it, it felt good to find a, a kindred, you know, soul and Jim, you know, a little brother, because, you know, I've always been the oldest guy in the band, and it was just like... I was like, I, I like your moxie, kid. So it was just, uh, 
so and we we started i mean the funny thing is it's just like we were so so eager to get the fuck out and just you know do our thing dude we toured without anything we had a cassette a demo cassette and we booked this like you know this hyperactive like trek across you know half a you know a, a good chunk of the midwest and places that you know and this guy didn't never play that that's for sure we never got out of you you know the furthest we got was jersey or connecticut and it was just so nice to like get you know past the mason dixon line or something it was just like so we booked this wacky tour and it was just like um you know basically what we were doing it was just uh we were um looking at the way black flag you know how they were touring and stuff and, and kind of modeling our tour thing on, on black flag you know what i mean just like well good enough for flag to play there what because they were like insanely obsessed with like playing any place any hole in the wall it was just like yeah you should have been here last week black flag was here and the cops broke the place down but it's nice to see another band that's uh so it's you know it's like it was weird it was like cover bands redneck bands black flag would show up and then we'd come like you know a few weeks or a few months or years later we'd toddle through and it would be like you know the last band to play here was the stranglers well like what the fuck and now you know what i mean when the stranglers were like this we're just like how the hell did the stranglers end up in bismarck north dakota i don't know so we were just doing these bizarre and with nothing i mean just no guarantees and they pass around a hat and and you know in this rickety van but boy were we we couldn't be happier you know what i mean we're getting the thing out there and you know yeah it was it was uh... You know, at that time, it was kind of wild, you know, it was flag were kind of like the pioneers to really just because there was, you know, you have to keep in mind, there's like no Internet then. So it's like it was all like done through like fan themes and like word of mouth and mail. So it was really like underground was really really was kind of underground. And um, mm-hmm. we would play, yeah, like, cow, you know, it was kind of like the Blues Brothers playing the cowboy bar. You know what I mean? It was yep. it definitely it was wild. When you were back in New York, like, was there a scene you were a part of? Like, were you playing with, like, no-wave bands at all, or, or... At first, there wasn't really a scene. We were kind of, there wasn't, we were kind of playing with bands from different scenes. Yeah, yeah, we're still doing, we're still playing the punk rock shitland circuit, you know what I mean? And it was, yeah. you know, and that's where we kind of, and that's... Play with, like, Live Skull and stuff like that, and... Mm-hmm. So there were a few, there were a few kindred spirit bands that were, like, you know, and, uh kind of like a in-between yeah. time you know and uh and then the scene kind of started to evolve i think guys that were sort of like our basic age that were kind of maybe different kind of music but same kind of aesthetic in a way or yeah. and like and you had like you know dinosaur was in, in inevitable it's like you know the you know it was like the clash of the titans with those guys because they were like they were also deep wound with a hardcore band and they were shedding their, you know, shedding their shackles, their hardcore shackles and growing their hair out and experimenting with volume and feedback. And we're like, Hey, you guys are just like us. I mean, there was no, no competitive, like, you know, it was just like, it was just so weird to see these, you know, fucking these, you know, these mass holes, you know, but actually they're really nice guys, but these Massachusetts guys coming down to the city and, you know, playing, you know, huge volumes and, you know, cool old guitars and lots of effects. I was like, oh, Jay and I and Jim, we would just talk about amps and guitars and effects till till the cows came home, you know? <laughs> so that was cool. The, 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 the dinosaur thing was a nice, you know, we're like, great, man, fucking A. That's a and Sonic Youth were 
you know, because the misguided, our old hardcore band, we had already, you know, like we're again we are branching out and and you know getting getting rid of the the hardcore, you know, getting off the hardcore plantation. We started, you know, we played gigs with like, you know, Sonic Youth because because uh, Thurston and Mike Girard, they 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 were at CBS and saw we were playing, you know, the misguiders playing some benefit. And it was a rented background, you know, back line. I mean, it was just, and all these, you know, fucking marshals and, you know, really big. So we just were like, we never get to play with marshals. We, we had, they had like this little dinky sun solid state amp. And so we just went up there and we were pretty good at that time, pretty tight enough. And so we just, but I just went up there and turned all the marshals up and, the, you know, the Ampeg SVTs and, and the big drum kit. And so we were just like, Woof, you know what I mean? We we're just like, you know, we really finally, you know, for the first time in a little hardcore existence, we got a taste of power, like having a back line that makes your pants, like your pant legs shake and shit. So we're like, oh man, this is great. And so Thurston and Mike Giraffe from the Swans, they were in the audience. They were like, they were like, wow, you know, they, they liked us. They were like, they liked our, our, you know, thing. They, they, you know, our enthusiasm and our loudness. So they, they got a kick out of that. And then Lyle talked to Thurston, you know, contacted him or whatnot. And, and Thurston was like, yeah, you guys, you know, play with us and stuff. And, you know, it would be nice to, and we're like, fuck yeah, man, just to not play in front of, I don't know, you know what I mean? The usual, because there was a lot of, towards the end, there's a lot of um, suburban or kids driving in from Connecticut or deep in the heart. I mean, they weren't the, our New York friends anymore. It wasn't like the kids from Queens and Brooklyn. You started seeing all these faces you never saw before. And they, you know, apparently had seen, the Quincy punk rock episode and decided that's how we have to act. You know what I mean? They saw all these, <laughs> you know, all this stupid, like, you know, fucking, you know, greasy kid stuff that, you know, Oh, so that's how a punk rocker is supposed to act. And then, you know, go to a show and become a nuisance. And so, and we were like, you know, we're on stage and we're like, wearing, you know, I'm like, I got my Fred Perry shirt on and Lyle's got a Paisley shirt on and, and our singers, you know, traipsing around in a tuxedo and, and you know what I mean? And you get like angry skinheads from, you know, deep in the heart, of, you know, guys that were on the football team last week. And now they're fucking, they reinvented themselves as these, you know, skinheads. So, you know, it was just the, the, some of those, some of those gigs where you were lucky to get out alive. It got pretty sticky, you know, for a while. So it was like, you know, playing with Sonic Youth and then, you know, doing them getting out of the misguided thing and into the Dostamin thing was just like, whew, it's so, so nice. And that's, yeah. you know, with the, and with Dostamin, that's what, even though a lot of our amps were held together with duct tape and spit, it was like dinky shit, but we played loud, you know, cause we were like, it's either the crowd's going to get it. You know, whoever's there to like us, they're going to stay for it. And if there's like any straggling skinheads or, you know, pesky junkies or people that are just there to fucking make trouble, we're just going to play, you know, so fucking loud and in your fucking face that you're just going to have no choice but get away from us. You know what I mean? It worked. It it it, it, it got it ain't earned us this reputation as like this loud, proud, wacky, you know, good live act. If you can, you know, just bring the earplugs. I was going to ask you guys: was uh, was Glenn Bronca around? I'm I only asked because he passed away recently. Well, yes. We, we we never met him personally. I'll tell you, you know, but we knew a lot of people that worked with him. Yeah, Thurston had worked with him, um, and also um, our producer who produced yeah. uh, and recorded the the, the first three Das Damen records, Wharton, 
was like an acolyte of uh yeah and he would tell us a lot of stories about glenn i guess he was a real character but we always appreciated him but um mm-hmm. yeah yeah presence definitely loomed in that scene but we we never knew him so how did how did you end up uh from what i've read you weren't necessarily on ecstatic peace i don't even know if that label was really existed um, other than just a name at that point it was I mean, basically pretty much a name yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It, I mean, it's kind of like Thurston's kind of pet project, and and we, you know, like in our just kind of fervor or whatever, like Alex said, to get out there, you know, and kind of, it's kind of funny thinking about it. And I was just like jumping in a van and touring on a demo, you know, it wasn't even really released. It was kind of wild, but we were just recording, and we like we need to put this out, and it was just kind of like that was just it was like a. You know, Lyle was really the most friendly with Thurston out of the, out of us, and he said, "Well, Thurston offered the ecstatic piece imprint if we want to do that, so we did." You know, it was kind of like yeah. a, friend, a friendly thing. You know, yeah, you know, it, it right. seemed like a win-win. We're like, okay, because Thurston, you know, you know, Thurston was always a you know a, a tastemaker, shall we say? He's like, you know, I got one thing the Masonics uh, proud of themselves. You know, we're very proud of like discovering bands or supporting you know bands. I mean, you could just look at the the list of opening bands and all that stuff that they have and the people that they mention in their books. It's a, uh, I got to admit, they definitely always had their finger on the pulse of something. And, uh, so again, Thurston dug us. He was yeah. cool as shit. And, um, right. so yeah, well, like, yeah, we'll do it on yeah, ecstatic speech. Yeah. We paid for the whole thing, but yeah. fuck it. You know what I mean? It's just, and it was just so nice to have like a real, it was like the real piece of vinyl that we ever, you know what I mean? That any of us have, cause right. we're, you know, the misguided put out two, two like little, colored vinyl EPs and stuff and they're charming but you know it's just you know what I mean I mean they, they, there's a, some good stories behind those too and they and they go for a surprising amount of money on eBay and, and record fairs and stuff it's so funny to see this thing and we you know we didn't print many of them but we made sure they were on colored vinyl we made sure that we printed the lyrics and you know tried to look as clever and you know and you know what I mean? Hey, you look at us—we're punk rock, but we we like wires. You know, what I mean, we tried to be a little step ahead yeah. of the, the usual, you know, you know, the usual hardcore, like you know, smashing in your face kind of shit. We're, you know, I don't know, pride ourselves on being street yet thinking mannish. But uh, but that aesthetic piece thing, when we held it in our hands, and it was just like fuck, man. And you know what I mean? It's just it was incredible. You know what I mean? It's just like it was just so a nice yeah. hunk of vinyl with the you know, printed properly, and then the artwork that that uh, our you know uh, our bass players, you know, friend Rich Poindexter did the artwork, and uh, and funny thing is Rich Poindexter, it's like uh, you know the, the term you know Poindexter, it's like it's yep. um, Rich Poindexter's dad was Admiral Poindexter, and he was like you know a, a big fucking deal in the military and the navy and all that stuff, and and so when the, they did. Felix the Cat, the cartoon and stuff, they, they, for whatever reason, they decided to call, you know, fucking the little brainiac guy Poindexter, and it was on, it was based on uh, Admiral Poindexter's, you know, name, and, and it was so weird to know okay. Rich, Rich Poindexter, who was, you know, by that time, his name became synonymous with being a, a geek and a nerd. And, and all. Being a nerd? Yeah, ah. yeah, and meanwhile, <laughs> Interesting. Like, that was his real God-given, you know, his you know, his ad- admiral, you know, um, grandfather or great grandfather, whatever. He, it's so just the that's the, Dustin always had this weird, like, you know, the people that we'd always 
had a, a weird circle of people that would, you know, either help us or hinder us or, and he was a kook to boot. So he wasn't an artsy fartsy kind of kook. And I know we, we were like the Dostam and, you know, cause between NYU and playing all these wacky clubs and touring, you know, needlessly or furiously, God, we, we were a freak magnet. We really surrounded ourselves with, with you know, odd characters, but, for the most part, they were always, you know, pretty cool and helpful and artsy and stuff. It was interesting. You know, we were just attracted to that kind of, those kind of people, you know, and guitar geeks. Thanks, God. You mentioned a demo. So this recording is not the demo. No, we did, we did <laughs> record it. We did actually a few different sessions before we did the, we were talking mm-hmm. about this yesterday, I think. The um, first record was basically like our live set, more or less, you okay. know, and we kind of just went in and, pretty much, you know, blasted it out live, you know. Yeah, it's exactly, that was exactly our, uh, pretty much our live set. We just, you know. He was, except, pretty young. He was in the 20s, right, in the, in New York City, Manhattan? Yeah, yeah, 20, he's on 22nd Street and 2nd right, Avenue, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was in a basement, so, it was like a basement studio with no windows, and we were just going yeah. down there. And, uh, but, it, but it was great, because the walls, the walls were really thick, but we could still, you know, shake the walls and, so, yeah. and and Jim, Jim reminded me that, you know, Wharton's, you know, buxomy, bodacious, uh, you know, wacky wife came down one day and asked us what the fuck we're playing so loud. Oh, man. This, this is Fun City you're talking about, where it was recorded? The EP? Yes, yes. Lots yeah. of stuff. Man, the Fun City, the Fun City roster is pretty, it's pretty interesting because, you know, uh, Wharton would have all the, all the vinyl and all the tapes, master tapes, and it was just like a real who's who of people that he worked with and stuff. And uh, Warden was cool. I mean, that's, it was so great to work with a guy that didn't, didn't shy away from volume. Cause Jim will tell you, we did a few demos with like, you know, these old rock and roll guys. that were just like, you really want to play that loud? What do you, you know, you what's the it. idea? Yeah. Yeah. So they were just yeah. like completely like, you know, they were just pff, hit the record button and harumph and, you know, just kind of just sit there and pout while we tried to hash things out. It was just so, you know, we're like, mister, we're paying you over here. What the fuck? It's like, come on, man. And they weren't, we didn't bring our full lineup. We're just using their studio shit. So it's like, yeah, what am I doing? I'm cranking up a, cranking up a. It's, it's kind of hard to imagine now, but at that time, it was like, you know, like a kind of radical, you know, it's like for a guy that, you know, looked like Jerry Garcia and he's like, has a pipe and a beard, you know, and he's like, and we're these young guys that, you know, grew up on the MC5. It was like kind of like a culture divide, you know. And uh, I'll, sure. just, I'll never forget this one engineer guy. He was like this real hippie kind of guy. He's like, loud music <laughs> with melodic vocals, that'll never work. <laughs> I know. It was, it was in a studio in Union, New Jersey or something like that. Yes, I remember. And then, oh, God, the guy was just like. You know, cuts in Nirvana and, you know, countless other bands. So it was, just, <laughs> it was kind of like we were a little maybe a little ahead of our time. I don't know, but it was fun. Yeah. I mean, like nobody was using like wah pedals back then, for example. Yeah. And Alex is one of the, I mean, honestly, I, I, from, for me, like what I've heard, like Alex is one of the first in that scene or that generation to like really bring the wah out of prominence. And I, I, you know, believe, you know, what I was told was that, well, she was at R.E.M. song stand, but that was kind of influenced by Alex. Cause like Peter Buck was, the yeah, he did. He did mention it in an interview. He's like, "Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Das Domin lately, and and that's why they, you know, have that that so, that dinky so, little wah wah." But hey, cool. I'm like, oh, awesome. 
you know? And the guy was, was nice to us. He did, he did put us up at his place and, and, uh, yeah. yeah, he was a big fan and, you know, it's yeah. flattering, you know, that, that, that a band mm-hmm. that big that, you know, thought what we did was a value, you know? And, and the funny thing is, uh, Brant, it's like back then, it's like Wawa's and, and Big Muffs, all those clunky 70s effects were, they were so out of vogue. I was going to say, did you, did you guys take a lot of shit for like being retro? Or... Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? You'd get people that were like, okay, I guess. The, the pe- like I said, the people that got it, got it. And they were like, wow, this is cool. I haven't seen anything like this since, you know, you get like, like a, an old timer like our friend Bill Ryan or people like that. I haven't seen anything like that since you know. And these guys are like were old back then, and they were like, I haven't seen anything like that since I saw The Who or Blue Cheer or something like that. So they favorably, you know, the old timers were like the ones that got it were favorably favorably comparing us to like you know The Who and Blue Cheer, like our hero bands. I was like, cool. But I mean, you you even mentioned mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned the long hair mm-hmm. and like you know the paisley shirts for example yeah. like were bands like say the meat puppets or dc3 were they on your radar were you looking at ssd oh, as like kind of sure. the, the cool yeah, label for sure i mean that was a little mm-hmm. little bit later um mm-hmm. basically what happened is we put out this you know the ecstatic piece whatever first ep toured more you know because we did we were like touring maniacs kind of taking a book a page from the black flag book and um Greg Ginn got in touch with Lyle, I think, because mm-hmm. he's wow, you, you guys are like have like an EP out, and you're like playing in the middle of nowhere. Like you guys are really passionate, and we really like the music. We want to. But, but but wait a minute, Jim, you're missing a, a crucial element here. So there's yeah. two things. Two things we're looking at here. It's like we knew, just knew, knew deep deep in our heart of hearts that you know we. You know, we like you know we like the replacements and Soul Asylum and, and Twin Tone bands. We like those guys. We like we like Touch and Go bands. We love the fucking Discord bands and all that stuff. But in our heart of hearts, we're like, ah, man, fucking SST. That's that's got to be our you know that's 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 got to be our fucking home. We just knew you know we just had this gut you know we just I don't know the way and the way Black Flag and and all those bands were progressing and growing out their hair. And, you know, again, getting rid of the punk rock shackles and, 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 you know, putting it out there and being more adventurous. And and those bands were the ones that toured the most, too. So we liked that. We were like very, you know, we just love playing live and really wanted to get it out there. So the funny thing is, it's like, here's how Greg didn't got the fucking, you know, got the fucking record. He, um, whatchamacallit, we had, we had it on tape. We didn't even have, you know, we didn't have a copy of the static piece. Black Flag was playing at Maxwell's, you know, one of those gigs. And, um, and you know, and so that van's parked outside. And Jim, you know, who's, I, I vote him the most charming dot and guy for sure, you know, had a tape, that, you know, of the static piece record, you know, recorded. And on the other side of the tape, he forgot to erase it. There was a King Crimson, like, um, we liked Crimson a lot. Oh, perfect. There was a, there was a King Crimson fucking, um, you know, um, bootleg. And so, you know, Jim's like... You couldn't have planned it better to ingratiate yourself to Greg. Exactly. Sure. And I don't think it was even labeled, the King Crimson thing. I don't think it was even labeled. I think Jim just scribbled down the, the Das Dahmen songs and the fucking contact info. And uh, and the van was there. The doors open. And, you know, and Gin is like smoked out of his fucking mind. And he's, you know, just, you know, he's really starting to get, you know, stony and, and, you know, just, you know, getting into that, that latter day Greg Ginn stoner thing. So, you know, Jim's just like, Hey, Greg, we love you guys. And, uh, 
here's our, you know, EP. And so, and that's like a few, I don't know, a little while later, I, I forgot exactly how much longer. That's when, when Gin called up from California and talked to fucking Lyle yeah. and said he wanted to put it out. So to this day, uh, to this day, to this day, I'm, yeah, good, good, yeah. <laughs> I still don't know if it's King Crimson or Oz. I know, I still don't know. Um, <laughs> and then he said he wanted to see us live. So what we did was we... Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, here we go with another wacky tour. We're both on tour, and we so was Black Flag, of course. And so we ended up... He booked us opening for Flag so he could see us play. And what we did is, I'll never forget, we played on a Saturday night opening for Big Black and then drove all night mm-hmm. to East mm-hmm. Lansing, Michigan and played a Sunday matinee with Black Flag. Yeah, no, we, it was Holland, oh, wow. Holland, Michigan. We're like, Holland, Michigan? What the fuck is that? And, sure. and it was... It, 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 boy, it could have been... It probably was Holland. So was, and Wait a minute. Maybe, I think it was East Lansing. You're right. So we, we, so we, we did... You're right. It was... We, Insanely, you know, just drove like maniacs to get to the gig, and you know, we got there, but you know, yeah, yeah, it was wild, man. Yeah, yeah. So thank God we, we yeah, we delivered. We we played pretty pretty well, and you know what I mean. It was just a, and it was you know, um, and then after that we got signed. Now, do you know how many of the Ecstatic Peace version you had had pressed? Oh, I was um, thinking about that. I it couldn't have been more than a thousand. No way. No, you know. Uh, the ecstatic, uh, just the ecstatic piece. No, I, it's a few hundred, I think. I don't think it was. A, yeah, I mean, really, if we if we printed like, I don't know, maybe between two fifty or five hundred. I swear to God, that thing was such an odd duck record. Yeah, and honestly, you know. the, um, the issue, I don't know. It, it, do you have the record, Brandt, or have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. The, oh, okay. The, All right. That mm-hmm. picture was us playing at Maxwell's, and it kind of. You know, I think just you can. It kind of really gives a vibe of the band at that time. It's just us trying to tear it up. Some of us are in kind of like yeah. You just look like you're exploding on the yeah, back that was, of it. That was kind of what the live show was like, and there was this, it was exactly yeah, exactly like that. I mean, it was just... um, Ira from Yola Tango. He was the sound man at Maxwell's at that time. Okay, and he, we used to we used to drive him insane because we play so loud. <laughs> and yeah. um, there was a it was confirmed that, that there was like a, a piece of tape on the master volume on the on the uh maxwell's console that it said with different levels and it was wasn't it loud louder loudest and then das Domin <laughs> yeah yeah so we were just it, it was like our trademark it was like our calling card yeah, it was, especially you know, at maxwell is that we would blow the power out but right. you know several yeah and it was mm-hmm. good because it was, you know, our our models were like the Who and Blue Cheer and Black Sabbath and Black Flag. So we just we just thought that's what you do. Just to, and to create the force field to you know separate the you know the wheat from the chaff, you know the assholes from the fucking cool people. You know what I mean? It was cool. It's just like then that back photo. I think it was Suzanne Sasek yeah. who she went on to become become um, Sonic Youth's uh, lighting person, and she's like a, a real famous lighting person now. Designer. She's she's great. She's the be Lyle's girlfriend and all yeah, that stuff. And uh, so she took that photo and that photo is exactly us. It's the opening uh, trick question. It's the opening song. And that's exactly us like wah, coming out and just, you know, okay, ready. You know, one, two, three, boom. It was just, you know, it's an opening song. And very representative. Of the, it was very, mm-hmm. 
high energy thing. That to me, that's definitely the representative of the band at that time. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah without a doubt. Yeah. Fucking wacky. You know marching sergeant pepper uniform yep. stuff i was just decked out you know i was working you know i was installing phone lines and stupid shit like that there and you know what i mean so i had this you know like always had these crappy gray collar blue collar jobs and i was just wearing you know just a fucking a dicky shirt and jeans and you know so i just pretty much all i did was just switch you know switch shoes after work and you know run to the gig so i'm still in my work duds and you know i didn't have time to you know find one of my my you know, puppy shirts. <laughs> you know, my Seinfeld esque pirate shirts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it was fun, man. It was just uh, so that was definitely yeah, yeah. That was us playing live, and like, I still wish I had that goddamn guitar. <laughs> and uh, Jim broke, Jim broke that white melody maker. And and trust me, we were breaking stuff like way before. You know, we I still can't afford it. I got a shitload of guitars now, but the thought of harming one of my guitars right now just like. It just, but back then it was just like, it, it wasn't like we were being dicks and like, Hey, it was weird. Cause you know, Phil had this fucking ridiculous, like Kramer eight string bass. And I think just, if you listen to it, it's just like, it's just like a fucking wall of fucking sound. I was going to ask and about Jim, it cause it, know, it lists on the back cover that yeah. it plays four and eight string bass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and, 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 and he could play too. Phil was a Jim dandy musician. And, yeah. but man, once you, he was like the quietest, you know, you know, most unassuming guy ever. And he was Jim's roommate. And we would talk about music. And we're like, yeah, Phil's a cool guy. And Jim's known him for God knows how many years. And and the bass player, Dave, who later rejoined us, who was the misguided bass player, yep. a, a second misguided guitar player, and uh, that became the first Das Damen bass player. Dave kind of lost interest and, you know, he's kind of taking his study seriously. So he kind of, he left us and we're like, ah, oh, fuck, you know, we got a good thing going here. What the? And Jim's just like, well, you know, Phil's got a bass. Let's try him out. We're like, okay, why not? Phil's a good guy. <laughs> fucking, fucking Phil just, you know, so we're rehearsing. It's the funniest thing because we're rehearsing in NYU at the, what was the name of that goddamn place, Jim? That, the, you know, Weinstein Hall. Yeah. Anyways, and it was just like, the, it was like this big, I don't know, this big room that was echoey and, and horrible, but, you know, so we had a, a, a few strung together amps and dicky stuff and, and no bass amp. And at that time, fucking Rick Rubin was going to NYU. And, and just that's exactly when he was uh, nurturing the, the Beastie guys and stuff. And, uh, he was, uh, you know, the Beastie Boys and the Misguided never got along, you know, from the hardcore days. We always thought they were like rich fucking kids. And they thought we were fucking, you know, Queens, cement heads and stuff. So it was always this, you know what I mean? This, yeah. We, you know, never liked them. They never liked us. And then they saw me and Lyle, you know, we're, we're down there at NYU doing this thing. And they would rehearse and do their rap thing, you know, a, a few doors down. And uh, Rick Rubin had a shitload of equipment. And so we ended up commandeering his fucking bass amp. It was a, was it a customer in Earth, Jim? What was it? Like a blue, the blue plush thing that kept uh, burning up on us. Yeah. Anyway, so it's like, you know, this tuck and roll. You're a hot rod kind of guy. He has like that, that blue tuck and roll kind of sparkly amplifiers. You know what yep, I mean? Yep. And it was just like, and the thing was, uh, it was doofy, but it was loud. You know what I mean? And, you know, it was better than nothing. So fuck it. You know, like the broke ass musicians. And we knew that Rick Rubin was a rich guy from, you know, so we're just kind of took it upon ourselves to come into your, you know, Rick Rubin's blue amplifier. And that's what, you know, it was on 
all those tours and the back of that record. And so Phil plugs into this blue fucking monstrosity with that eight string, you know, thing. And he just goes berserk. We're like, well, I guess we found it. Just like when we met Jim and we're like, you know, the minute he plugged in and started doing it, we're like, we found our, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in, <laughs> it was like a fucking, oh God. The Tom Peterson of SST. <laughs> exactly. So we, and we love Cheap Trick and we're like, this makes yeah. too much sense. I mean, it, it, and Phil wasn't, you know, once he got going, he wasn't shy. Like, if Dave was having a bad gig, he'd kind of hide, you know, towards the end, he would hide behind a bass amp. And we're like, Dave, we're playing in Norman, Oklahoma. Like, have some fun here. It's like, you know, if we're playing you know, in front of people with bolo ties. It's like, fuck it. You know what I'm saying? If they don't like it. You don't have to hide behind the amp. Let's go, 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 go. So Dave kind of lost his fervor there. And did, did, but Phil just brought a completely different dimension to it and dementia to it. And that's why that first record is such a such a departure from, you know, the the popular rich kids like shit that we were doing with Dave. It wasn't shit, but it was just, you know, but we just really were like, holy shit, you know, you know we got we got John Wetton and we got ourselves, a, yeah. you know, it gave Lyle more of a challenge. And uh, I don't know, it brought a, a certain chaos to the band, but it was also very peaceful because he's Jim's roommate and we can keep an eye on him and, and he was writing songs and bringing things to the table. So it was just like, it's fucking great. You know what I mean? It was just like, so Phil was just like such an asset. I mean, you know, we had the two blonde guys, Phil and Jim and the two brunette guys, you know, the two guys from, you know, the two guys from Jersey and the two fucking, you know, me and Lyle, the, the you know, fucking misguided guys. And it was just like, Hey, this, it worked. It worked for a good three records. We were, had a good little fucking team there for a while, you know what I mean? I think, and live-wise, it, it, it Phil really captured, you know, really cemented the what the Das Diamond thing we were, were looking for. And it, go figure, we found it in this professorial-looking sure. quiet guy that would just go on stage, and and by the end of the end of the set, his fucking bass would be there'd be blood all over the fucking you know bass yeah. on the floor, and uh, you know he played with a pick, played with his hands, fucking. You know, and it was just aluminum neck, so the thing was indestructible. But somehow Phil would still manage to throw it over his head and break it and stuff. It was just like crazy shit, man, just crazy. And then, then the rest of us were like, oh, you know, would kind of just follow through. And I had this Rickenbacker guitar, and I just this little four fifty or six, one of those little solid body things like Fred Sonic Smith used to have. And it, I love Ricks and stuff. And it's a little light, little Rickenbacker, and it was just like nice and you know fast neck and i was just like so happy i love my little rick and i'm just doing a townsend thingy just bump, bump, bouncing it off my head you know for and it just cracked and i was like oh fuck i just broke the rick on my big fat head so and i decided to you know then, then i sacrificed it to the rock gods and stuff and they're just like so it was weird to be breaking guitars that you know when you were dead broke it was just like so the next day it would just be like me in a frenzy like Phil's bass for some reason was always I was always able to fix it and glue it back together again or resolder the pickups and but the Rick was just it's gone man my brother's got the fucking body and that's about it and I don't know where the rest of it ended up once you got on SST did you start touring mm -hmm. more were you touring like you hear a lot of these SST yeah. package tours were you, were you doing those we definitely did um, a lot of package stuff we played with everybody from Painted Willie to the Meat Puppets um, DC3, we did a bunch of shit. I mean, a bunch of shows with them. They were great. We're, and, you know, we're friends with all the bands. We're friendly with them. And there are lots of SST bands I wish we would have played with. But, you know, yeah. but, uh, 
And the thing is, once you signed to SST, because they had their whole world domination thing, and uh, Jordan Schwartz, you know, um, we got power, you know, Jordan, you know, the famous, you know, the infamous, one of the funniest guys you ever want to meet in your life is Jordan Schwartz. He's such a pisser. He was, uh, you know, the golden tongue booking agent for, uh, you know, he, he was the in-house booking guy. So that, that worked out pretty well. You know what I mean? It's just like, and if, if, uh, if there was a, an SST band or, or something like that in, uh, in town in New York, we, uh, we were like, come to think of it, we were like the first band on, Jim, were we the first New York City band to get signed to SST? Uh, were we? Were, or, were we Son- or Sonic Youth beat us too. I can't remember. Youth might have been the first, but we were the, definitely the second. And uh, okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they have an interesting concept going. They're definitely ahead of their time as far as trying to do like the in-house booking, and you know, it worked really well yeah. for, for a long while. Yeah, because uh, on the East Coast, it gave us it gave us a lot of leeway because it was cool. Because if you know if they had a certain SST band or or whatnot, they were coming through and they needed an opening band, or uh, or if there was an SST band that n- needed opening up for somebody that was less known than we were, or, you know, or just kind of co-headlining, um, boom, you know, we here we are, you know, playing at CBGBs with Soundgarden, you know, and it was just like cool because they were on SST, we're on SST, and we're co-headlining with Soundgarden and it's just uh, this, so there'd be some sick matchups you know what I mean and and, uh, and uh, you know absolutely yeah so that that did that. And then you, so you went on to do you went on to do two more full lengths and an EP on SST before <laughs> switching to Twin Tone is that yeah. right yep yeah yeah things kind of because uh, the, the SST thing kind of it, it, it was kind of weird because despite all their fucking good intentions and all that stuff we were getting kind of we're getting kind of frustrated because the we're playing like these really good shows, like you know, like you know, you know, like Seattle. We played Seattle before again. That's one of those places where we played. I think we played with the fucking Ecstatic Peace release, and people are like, "Hey, you guys are." You know, I remember you know just you know no bands like us. You know, it was Green River. It wasn't even Mud Honey. It was Green River at the time. We're playing gigs with them out in the Pacific Northwest, and and you know places like Portland and Seattle, and they were like. They're like, shit, you guys are like the birds in Black Sabbath. I remember, like, you know, cause a guy in the audience, like, yeah, you guys are, you remind me of the birds in Black Sabbath, and all of a sudden you turn into Metallica. It's just like, so, you know, the Seattle thing, you know, Green River, and, you know, who are great, and, and you know, Seattle always, you know, they always had their decent bands and shit. You know, and it was weird to see the Seattle thing, like every time we come back, which wasn't, you know, it was hard for, for you know, to get from New York to Seattle was like a bear. I mean, you know, and all points in between, we'd come back and there'd be more and more, or just about every place we played out, <laughs> every band that, you know, either opened up for us, changed their thing, or their, you know, little junior bands that, that were like us, that were like, you know, kind of catching on, and they were like the local heroes, and it's just like, wait a minute, where are we? <laughs> it's like, you know, it was so weird to see these little, you know, we're like Johnny Appleseed, we're like, you know, spreading these little seeds and these seedlings and all of a sudden all these little hairy horrible loud bands are popping up and it was just it was so it was like a social experiment you know what i mean dude it was just like it was it was humorous to say the least but it was so funny to see seattle go from uh yeah you know you know perplexed yet good audiences to like amazing audiences but 
with these amazing, you know, fucking homegrown bands. All Did this. that play into the bands breaking up at all? Like maybe feeling like you're spinning your towards, tires a little bit? Towards the end. Run its yeah, yeah, towards the end, it got a little, you know, we, we, we kind of got a little disgusted. There were days. Yeah, I think we just kind of, honestly, in retrospect, probably the best thing would have been to just take a break and come back. But I think we... Exactly. Just, we That's, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So hard. And it was, I mean, there's a shirt that I have, and I'm sure, I think, Alex, you sent it to me. And it was from a, we did a live album called Entertaining Friends, and um, which was like a, mm-hmm. some of the Buzzcocks, and we toured to support it. And it was like our tour dates on the back of the shirt, and it was like... Mm-hmm. Like Jesus 20, Christ, I mean, you know. It was like 27 shows in like 30 days or something. Like, yeah. we mm-hmm. were really hard. We loaded right. our mm-hmm. own equipment. We unloaded it. You know, we, yeah. and it just, I think we were just kind of, like I said, I think we started too early, kind of like what Alex was saying. Or not too early, but we started ahead of the, we were a little ahead of the curve when, and then when we worked really hard. And I think when we kind of, the, all the, us and all the other bands of the same ilk, like right, we kind of were burnt out right at the, when it was just about to, all the music that we did was starting, you know, like the world kind of caught up a little bit more and that's when we stopped. So I think, I I think it would have been, I, I, you know, you always think back on stuff you can do, but, and I think everything happens the way it's supposed to, but I think if we would have taken like a little break and just Mm -hmm. recruited, Right. Yeah. That's a, that, that would have been a big thing. And just, and even Lyle admitted, he's just like, you know what? Cause towards the end we were like, you know, we we're just really just, just thunderstruck that, you know, so many bands that, I mean, you know, I can give you a list as long as my arm of bands that open up for us or SST bands, fellow travelers, you know, shall we say, and they all got snapped up by a major and, you know, and we're just still dirt bombing it and doing it all ourselves. And like, you know, it's like, and, and have you pl- have you played since since the band broke up? Uh, with, have there been shows? Uh, no, <laughs> I mean you know, we've all done different things. As Dos Dominic? No, 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 no. It's just it's always been you know I don't know. Jim could explain it. You know, there's there's this thing called growing up. <laughs> it's just, it's, we're waiting for the right thing. This this possibly something in the works. I can't guarantee that you know, we'll end up in Saskatoon as much as I'd love to, but <laughs> who the fuck knows? You know, do but I don't know. We're yeah. Doss Thomas since the band broke up. Um, you know, I think. Oh wait, we, we did. We played. Uh, we played. Uh, when uh, Dave, our bass player Dave, was uh, getting oh, yeah. married, so that you know we played. It wasn't a bachelor party. It was just a, a little get together party, yeah. and we, you know, and uh, yeah, was, what was the name uh, of that? What was the name of that club, Jim? Uh, it was. It was uh, called Under Acme, and it was. Mm-hmm wanted to play a few songs with every band he had ever been in for his bachelor mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Club. And, um, we, and we played like, what, four or five songs? And it's like we never... And we just it was in, and, you know, we tore it up. I thought it was great. Yep, everybody that was there was just like, it's like you guys just, it's just like, a, just like seeing you, you know, you know, it was just like, like any other Das Damen gig. It was just like, you know, it was... Musically, even though we had not played for years, we we clicked right away, mm-hmm. you know. But I could tell like there was some time passed because like we didn't have the same, like you know, like when you're like when you're on stage and you like connect with someone, like you look at them, like that yeah. had had gone away a little bit just because we hadn't been around each other as much. But as far as musically, it was weird. It was like I don't know, it must have been like eight years since we had played or more, and. Mm-hmm. 
and as soon as it started, it was like, you know, I felt like I was back in East Lansing, like getting ready to open for mm-hmm. play. It was crazy. It was like yep. no time. It was, it was funny. It was, I, I just couldn't wipe the shit eating grin. I, 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 you know, there's pictures of me and Lyle, you know, and, and Jim, like, hugging and shaking hands at the end of the show. It was just like, it was so much fucking fun. And, and uh, unbeknownst to Lyle and Dave, you know, me and Jim, you know, being the pricks that we are, just like, you know, we just kind of, you know, we both, uh, at the, you know, it was, it was one of those blessed moments where we both had Dan Armstrong guitars, like, you know, real, you know, like a, like a 69, 70, like, you know, early Dan, you know, the clear Dan Armstrong guitars. And uh, so we just showed up with guitar cases and, you know, we didn't open up our stuff until it was time to, you know, for the band. And you know, just remember me and Jim taking out our Dan Armstrongs and, 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 and Lyle and Dave were just like fucking practically shat themselves. Because it, like, it was always one of those things we always, we always wanted a Dan Armstrong. It's like, fuck, man, what a, a cool guitar. Fuck, Keith Richards. And then, you know, fucking. Well, you're both rocking. You know what I mean? It's just like, they're great. So, and we show up with these fucking nice vintage Dan Armstrongs and plug them in and they sound like a million bucks. It's just like, oh, man, that was like a, might have, so might have been. Do, do you both still play? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, 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 oh yeah. I mean, you know, Jim, Jim does a lot more pro. You know, Jim's more in the recording kind of. He's got more cool shit going on than I do right now. But I, I, I love my guitars, man. I, I wish I had that Dan Armstrong right now. But uh, Jim, do you, do you still have your Dan Armstrong? I do. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, cocksucker! I mean, I'm looking at it right now. I can kill you. I, I sold mine like a doofus. What a fucking yeah. imbecile. Jim, do you do you want to mention what you're what are you, what you're up to sure. these days? Um, well, I'm uh, let's see, yeah. Well, I'm in Nashville, so um, I've been producing a lot. Um, uh, I'm married to a woman named BB Buell, and I'm kind of like her musical director. And I just produced a okay. called "Bearing It All." Greetings from Nashbury Park for her. Um, Good title, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, well, it was mm-hmm. in Nashville and half at Bray Park, so we mm-hmm. cool. So, big readings from Ashbury Park, but, um, <laughs> and so I produced that and played on it and co-wrote the record, and um, so that's kind of been a big thing. We've been playing a lot, so I'm like the musical director for the live band, and I produced a few thing, other things. I did a, co-produced a record by this band from Brazil called Brothers, a band called Brothers of Brazil, right, so that's, that's some of the stuff that I've been doing, but it's, you know, Nashville's a very active music community, so I've been co-writing and sessions and it's funny the very first session i did was playing bass with these guys that were like you know nashville like you know the, the talent level down here is crazy you know it's, yeah. it's insane like it's where all the old and, rockers uh, are now it seems yeah it's funny nashville. it's a real mix you know there's there's a yeah. whole like it's like you know country of course and and americana and stuff like that and then there's like a lot of the 80s metal guys live down here and uh, yeah. like Kip Winger lives a few blocks from me and Tom Kiefer. But then also I'm a couple of blocks away from the guitar player from the Kings of Leon and Jack White. So it's like a real mix. Well, thanks a lot, you guys, for doing this. We we love your oh, band. Thank you. We really thank appreciate you. it. And, and, and Brent, uh, I was going to throw it out there. Maybe if, uh, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll talk to Lyle, our drummer. So if you want to do a part two or join in on this fucking, you know. this Totally. You know, yeah, that'd yeah, be great. Yeah, for sure. I mean. It would really be. Mm-hmm. You really wouldn't get the full picture without talking to him as well. You know? yeah. yeah. All right. If you need anything, if you need anything or any follow up or whatever, just let me know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Thanks cool. a lot, you All guys. Right, thanks, cool. Thank you. All right. Later, bud. Okay. I sure hope that um, 
that the guys take us up on our offer to have them back on the podcast because it would be great to speak with them again for Jupiter Eye or Triskaidekaphobe, Marshmallow Conspiracy. They've got great stories. And like I said, they are a missing link in the 80s and 90s indie scene, and they definitely need more credit. Everyone should check oh, them out. Oh, yeah. It was great to have two people on, too. Yeah. We call we call that a two-banger. <laughs> Our first two-banger. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. You, you call them that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, without further ado, why don't we get to uh, History Lesson Part 2? Heck yeah. History Lesson Part 2. All right. So we started talking a bit about this release in uh, just kind of in the wind-up to History Lesson Part 1. Very interesting band. Um, we really need to spend some time on the jacket, though, for a bit. The, the jacket uh, already? Oh, yeah, because okay. there's so much stuff that I love in it. Um, the I love their story about Poindexter. <laughs> yeah. That was one of my favorite parts of the interview. Yeah, well, you know what? When they were talking about this picture of them on the back, yep. like like just exploding, yeah, it's pretty hard to describe this picture any other way. It's just like hair, paisley, yeah. and just it's just raw rock fury, man. Yeah, let's talk about the front cover though. Okay, it looks like I mean it's just kind of crayon or pastel on newsprint. Yeah, did you try and read some of the words? I tried. So there's there's something, it looks like a name and a comma, almost like Regan or Fagan, and then comma, spare us boys. And then it looks like the rest of the writing says, the first contraceptive that comes with someone to talk to, which is pretty out there. Yep. But that's... Uh, it's a good cover. Yeah, and the cover's by Point Dexter. Yeah. The, uh, the back photo, which we mentioned, is by Don Standing who, along with Wharton Tears, produced this record. Recorded at Fun City, and there's a ton of stuff that's been recorded there. Yeah, an ecstatic piece, number four. I mean, I don't have an S... Do you have an SST copy? No. No, I've got an no. S... It's funny, they they mentioned that the ecstatic, ecstatic piece versions are really rare, but I don't know how I stumbled across mine. But I don't know. I think the, the album cover, the artwork, just totally fits the band and fits the sound so let's get into the songs then yeah so it mentions three songs on the first side because this is this is a 12 inch ep savo trick question and slave bird savo would be the backwards thing with some guy shredding over top of it yeah i like it yeah it's a great it's, intro oh it's perfect for the start of this record it's kind of noise right and then that wipersy dinosaur juniory type song trick question kicks in and for people who don't know like this is not the same Das Dahmen that we will hear, you know, three or four releases from now, Das Dahmen. But I really like this version. I might have to go ahead. I might have to break my own rule and skip ahead and check out some, some Das Dahmen, But Yeah, that single of theirs on Sub Pop is really good. Slave Bird's an awesome track. Yeah, and you know what that's a yeah. playoff of, right? What? Freebird. Oh, yeah. You gotta you gotta listen to this song and know that it's a play off of Freebird, and then it blows your mind even more. I never thought of that. Get on it. <laughs> I wrote it sounds like it sounds like Mud Honey, or rather Mud Honey sounds like Dostom and I suppose. Yeah. And uh, I heard some Super Chunk in there. 
heard the some distorted bass, which yeah. I liked, and I liked the way the uh, the verses kind of stop and start, and then the it kind of shifts gears for the choruses with for the keep me keeps me wild part. Really yeah. like that. Isn't that kind of Freebird esque, Mister Classic Rock guy? Yeah, maybe Freebird's more like a ballad that goes into a rock song and then has a raging solo at the end. Yeah, well, I don't know. The only version of that I listened to is by Coffin Break. Um, <laughs> anyway, side two starts off with House of Mirrors. Awesome pop tune. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely sounds like a lot of indie rock that's about to come out in the next five years. Yeah. Great background vocals, too. Yeah. Uh, the next track on side two, How Do You Measure, to, which to me just sounds like 60s psych rock. Now, you said cool background vocals. Do you suppose that Jim and Alex were both kind of almost like co-lead vocalists in a way? Like there's a lot of, I would say, back and forth type vocals on yep. some of these songs. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that that has been my sense. But I mean, that we should ask them next time they're on the pod, right? Yeah. And then the uh, final track on this EP Behind My Eyes, which again, to me, is kind of a noisy psych rock song, which is awesome. Yeah, it's definitely the weirdest song on the album, but in a good way. Yeah. Um, it's got really crazy background vocals where he's just screaming, my eyes, <laughs> which I, I loved. And uh, I, I love, there's a bass line at the end that's really good. And then it goes into like this freak out part with, that just ends in total white noise. And then it has this really sharp ending at the end where it kicks back into the main riff. Yeah. And it, it's really great. I just loved it. Yeah. So like Phil Leopold von Trapp on eight string bass, he's not a shredder, but his line, yeah. his lines are really melodic and I love them. Yeah. Really cool. Here's the other thing that I really liked about this EP when I was just, just getting really, really into the band this week is that, it's kind of over before you know it, and then you just flip it right over and play it again, man. It's that yeah. good. Yeah, it's really good. Love that. That's kind of it for me on this one. I can't recommend uh, this enough. We've got lots of good recommends on this episode. I hope people check it out. But yeah. let's, um, if it's if it's all right with you, I think it's ballot result time. Oh, I'm ready. Ballot result. I'm worried, Ryan. I'm worried we're going to... I picked three songs. My I picked three favorites. Out of out of five? <laughs> yeah. There's only five real songs on this. Yeah. Okay, well hit me with them. No, you hit me. Which one where did you I want to know where you Oh, landed. Come on. I was I can't pick anything but trick question, but you go. Uh, I well the ones my favorites were How Do You Measure? Behind My Eyes, but I think Slave Bird's my favorite. Really? Oh. Yeah. I, can't, I can't see Slave Bird going on. Slave Bird has got a follow trick question. What are the other ones you like? How do you measure? How do you measure in behind my eyes? Oh, my God. I don't know. It's a good thing you're bringing me a zine, or I, I don't know if we'd stay friends. What, what did you pick? Trick question. You picked... Oh, you picked trick, trick question. Yeah, I think that that... Actually, you know what I would do is I would put Salvo and Trick Question back to back as as the ballot result. Can't do that. Can't do that. That's, that's cheating. 
Oh, okay. Which is your number one out of your three? Slave Bird. Okay, let's do it. Only if you promise to listen to Freebird and then get what I'm getting. Oh, I've listened to lots of Freebird, man. <laughs> it's the Skinnerd version. <laughs> I know. I can't believe we're still friends. Um, all right. Should we talk about next week? Yeah. Um, we've got another guest. Oh, yeah. Back to back guests, Ryan. You know what that means. That's a two banger. Back to back is a badass fact, a claim that remains intact. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Lou Hinzo, Loud Lou from uh, Worm, is going to be on the podcast. That's right. Next episode is SST 41 Worm Feast, which is awesome because we both really dug the uh their single which we listened to like 30 episodes ago so really looking forward to getting into some full-length worm look how far we've come ryan yeah only a few hundred to go okay thanks for listening everybody see you next week <laughs> <laughs>